The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's eight minutes after seven. On the format date this morning, we look at the phenomenon of racism in South Africa. And uh, many would say this is a subject that uh, South Africans would want to wish away at this point. But uh, in a recent article, political analyst Aubrey Machitli uh, says that in post-apartheid South Africa, racism has assumed a new form and content that sickens him physically, psychologically and emotionally. Uh, he also goes on to say that that he's been trying hard to retire from the race debate because he feels it it is no longer the racist who is the pariah, but uh, that the pariahs are now ones who, like him, are supposedly race-obsessed when they try to show that colonial and apartheid racism has mutated into a new but by no means less virulent form of racism. So to take a look at this, dissect it further, get his views and understand what it's all about, uh, we are joined on the line now by uh, our political analyst, Obri Machikli. Thanks for speaking to us this morning. Good morning, Sakina. Thank you. So, Aubrey, uh, perhaps uh, just for the benefit of those who uh, may not have seen it, uh, despite the tons of responses we got, perhaps just walk us through uh, the gist of your column. Well, this column has been coming for more than a decade. Um, I have been writing about the challenge of racism um, for a decade or slightly more. Uh, during the earlier parts of this decade, my emphasis was on the need, on sameness. Um, in other words, the fact that we are different should not undermine the emergence of spaces where we celebrate and promote sameness. But my view has been becoming harder. It has been becoming harder because it is, it, it is directly proportional to what I think are rising levels, not just of racism, but rising levels of what I call white arrogance. And this column uh, follows on other arguments I have made about the form and content of racism in our post-apartheid setting. For instance, I have argued that because of colonialism and apartheid, a numerical minority in this country has become a cultural majority whose ways of being, whose ways of seeing, and whose worldview has become dominant. I have also argued, and I repeat this argument um, in this column, that sitting at the center of this problem is the problem of whiteness. Whiteness not just as a matter of skin color, but whiteness as an ideology, as a way of being, a way of seeing, and as a world view. And an ideology that assigns to those who are white a superior position in relation to those who are black. Now, of course, when I talk about mutations that have occurred, I refer, first of all, to the fact that when one posits an argument against racism, instead of some white people, too many white people for that matter, uh, for that matter uh, looking at whether the argument is true or not. They focus more on stratagems to thwart the argument instead of looking at whether the argument itself has any merit or is true or false. There are attempts to change the subject, for instance, 
when you posit an argument against uh, whiteness, against uh, white racism, um, an attempt to change the subject takes the form of the pretense, for instance, that all that is wrong in our post-apartheid reality must be blamed on the ANC. It takes the form, for instance, of uh, when ANC leaders do something wrong or say something wrong, you can't invoke their struggle record. Because when they do or say something wrong, their struggle record is expunged. But when those whites who imagine themselves to be progressive, or who are by me imagined to be progressive, do or say something racist, their racism is expunged by their struggle record. There is an attempt to change the subject in many other ways. Uh, There is an attempt to put whiteness back at the center, in other words, to pretend that white people all of a sudden are victims of some imaginary racism after 1994. Now, the position I have taken is this, Sakina. It is not my intention to persuade every white person. There are certain white people I have no interest in persuading with regard to changing their racist mindset. Uh, my view, as far as that is concerned, is that, as we say in Clausas, and, and secondly, um, I am concerned, yes, that uh, I have caused some discomfort with uh, my argument. But that's not my primary concern. Uh, that is, in, in other words, the discomfort I've caused on the part of certain white people because of my argument is not my primary concern. My primary concern is the, is the, is the discomfort to black people their racism causes. So you, you were talking about, you know, some of the arguments that are thrown about. And, and, and one of the uh, foremost ones is when we start talking about race, uh, then we are told we are race obsessed. And this is why we can't move forward. That's the usual rebuttal that we face. But are we as a nation race obsessed? And is that justifiable? Well, here's the problem, Sakina. When, when, when I was in the ANC, where I grew up politically, um, we used to argue that South Africa is a colony of a special type. A colony of a special type precisely because the colonizer and the colonized are located in the same geographical area. Now, when the ANC today talks about the second phase of the transition, amongst other things, I believe what the ANC is talking about is the fact that Elements of that colony of a special type are still with us. In other words, racism is not in the past. The coincidence between race, economic injustice, poor developmental indicators, and other forms of disadvantage is not in the past. These things are in the present. Now, of course, um, there is, as I said, this continuous attempt um, to discredit, if not the argument, the person who's making the argument. There is this attempt to change the subject, as you say, by alleging that we are race-obsessed. Um, there is this attempt to do, to, to do this changing of the subject by saying we must forget the past, by people who used to argue before 1994 that they did not know. And when the TRC came, they argued, we don't want to know. And now they want to tell us to move on. But as I said, 
I, I think there must be a shift in the approach of black people who are concerned about racism. The discomfort we cause to white racists should not be our primary concern. The primary concern should be to change the mindset of those racists by dealing with the discomfort they cause, they cause to black people through their racism. Another interesting response, Hakina, is this. Uh, some people have questioned my state of mind and my emotional state. Uh, people are asking, is Aubrey fine? Um, is he angry? Now, first of all, that response is patronizing. Because when I write angrily about the failures, excesses, and weaknesses of the ANC, no one questions my state of mind. Uh, because it is supposedly common cause that the ANC is a, corrupt, is a corrupt organization that is failing to deliver. But it is not common cause that white racism is still one of the main challenges we face in this country. So, one, so, so no one questions my state of mind or my emotional state when I, when I am critical uh, of the ANC. But my state of mind is always questioned when I'm critical of white racism. And then and when we look at individuals and how individuals may feel or respond to this, um, and, and with symbolic racist beliefs, uh, you know, someone might actually genuinely believe that they actually do oppose racism, and they may actually genuinely believe that they are not racist, um, and sometimes even invoking, as you uh, touched on, their struggle background. Well, you know, Sakina, some of those are people who, as I say, imagine themselves to be white progressives, who, are, who by us are imagined as such. Um, and, and that comes from two places, what we have just highlighted. It comes from a genuine place. But it, it also comes from an, a dishonest place. Some of them um, want, to fe- want us to feel eternally grateful for the role, real or imagined, that they played during the struggle. As I said, the role they played during the struggle must expand their racism. Now, studies in the U.S. show that even those whites who consider themselves to be progressive confess to unconscious racism. And this comes from a third place also, that, as I've argued in another column, the fact that you were in the struggle Even the fact that you are a member of the ANC does not mean you cannot be racist. Because to suggest that someone who was in the struggle cannot be racist is quite ridiculous. Because then we are on a slippery slope. We may have to argue that blacks cannot be racist, homosexuals cannot be racist, Marxists cannot be racist, and so on, which is patently um, ridiculous. It comes from a fourth place, Sakina that you can be involved in a struggle against injustice and still believe that because of your uh, race, you are superior to others. And therefore, in that struggle, the role you play is to guide those who are inferior to you.
Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to open the lines because uh, everybody seems to have uh, something to contribute this morning. And I think it's important that we do talk about these issues and uh, perhaps talk about them uh, more authentically than we ordinarily do, because this is part of the reason why we don't move forward. The discomfort that uh, these types of conversations actually do cause in many South Africans. But let's see how we can move it forward. 891 is the call. Number SMS is to 34701. Tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM. This morning, speaking to political analyst Aubrey Machitli. And um, of course, a few weeks ago, I read uh, some excerpts from his column in the Business Day. And that really provoked a lot of discussion and a ton of responses. And we thought, what better way to do it than to actually bring Aubrey in to actually put his point of view across so that all those tweets, those SMSs, those emails that came in, uh, you can actually address those questions to Aubrey himself. Here's one from uh, Sig in Randberg. He says uh, Aubrey's latest article in Business Day offers a perfect mirror image of the same racism of which he accuses whites. His article leaves no doubt that he must have been deeply wounded by many personal experiences of perceived racism which he extended to all whites by way of the generalization and stereotyping which is an involuntary emotional reflex common to all human beings. It's an automatic knee-jerk reflex which serves as a defense mechanism by which we distinguish between potential enemies and friends. Yes, all human beings, including blacks, experience the same prejudices as those of which Aubrey uh, became guilty in his article about white racism. The trouble is that we seldom become consciously aware of these emotional reflexes because they are beyond conscious uh, comprehension and deliberate control. That is how Aubrey came to prove to all of us and to himself that even highly informed opinion makers fall prey to the prejudices which make it almost impossible to achieve social cohesion and reconciliation in societies divided by historical clashes in culture, language, religion and ethnicity, also class and race. That's from Sig in Randberg. Aubrey? Well, I'm not going to respond directly to Sig because, as I said, I have no intention of... uh uh, persuading every white person. And uh, white people like Sikh are precisely the white people I have no intention of persuading. As I said, Sawamba Nabambai. But let me make a point I did not make. You know, sometimes we unfairly accuse some white people of uh, being racist when that is not the primary problem, when the primary problem is their stupidity. And sometimes the combination between stupidity and racism can be quite potent. So, so I am open to the possibility that in some of the responses I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm dealing not with racism as the primary problem, but with stupidity as, as, as the primary problem. As I said, there is also the attempt to frame the argument, um, to frame the argument by removing arguments against racism from the center and by replacing them with something else, denial, attempts to change the subject, and so on. Uh, linked to this attempt to frame uh, the argument um, is the attempt to dictate to us how we should respond uh, to racism. Because there are some among us who have this God complex, according to which, because they created us, they know what's in our mind and how our mind should function, and they should guide the content of what uh, that mind produces. And therefore, this God complex, in part, is the reason why some white people
refused to put their racism at the center of the of uh, the argument. Now, of course, some people will argue um, that I am generalizing. Now, I, I think people must assume I'm intelligent enough to know that not all white people are racist. So if you say to me, not all white people are racist, you are telling me the sky is blue. If you're telling me that we, are, we all have the capacity to be racist, I've written columns about that. I've written columns attacking the idea that blacks cannot be racist. So if you tell me that everyone can be racist, you are telling me the sky is blue. But I assume that the people who are telling me that the sky is blue are intelligent. And therefore, it is not lack of intelligence that makes them make this obvious argument. It is dishonesty, and it is also about uh, making sure we never, de- we never deal with the real issue. It is also their denial that is uh, forcing us to deal with arguments about whether the sky is blue or not. Let's open the lines and uh, hear what our listeners have to say. 891 Tabang in Johannesburg, good morning. Yes, good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your guest. Uh, look, Sakina, I, I take a different view altogether or perspective. Uh, firstly, well, I'm, I'm a bit taken aback that uh, where colonizers have remained in a colony, that becomes a colonization of a special type. That's not peculiar to, to South African politics, but perhaps that's a debate for another day. But I don't believe that uh, racism necessarily is about color. It's about power, Sakina. No group in power has ever given privileges on a platter. So all that you see is people who continue to try and hold on to that power. This racial attitude is a manifestation of that very notion that they are white supremacy, they need to preserve their position in our society. So it's not necessarily about feelings. It's more about that. And I also subscribe to that there's, no, there's only one race, the human race. We all belong to the human race. Thank you so much, uh, Tabang in Johannesburg. Frank Talk, you're calling from Mangaung. Yes, Sakina. Um, you know, I just want to say, um, um, you know, racism at, at some stage was once defined as a mean of predication of decisions and policies on consideration of race for the purpose of subordinating a racial group and maintaining control over that group. I don't know what would your guests say about that definition, but I, but I agree and I concur with them fully. You know, you know, South Africa is so obsessed about corruption, and believe you me, rightly so. You know, we, we cannot have a corrupt government. We can't have graft and sleaze. But what has happened with mostly white compatriots is that they are so obsessed about corruption and when I argue with them I say even if there was no iota of corruption in the current administration the challenges of this country would have not been solved by government alone now now your guess is correct we need to talk about economic justice you know and white people are running away from that fact that the colonization has made them benefit on land, on cattle, and everything that they have. Now, now we can't run away from that and then say, yes, people are now free to vote, but let's leave the land and the cattle. Our forefathers fought about the land. We didn't fight to vote, you know, we didn't fight to do all these things. What we fought over was colonization, the taking of our land and cattle. And that aspect has not been addressed, and it is that aspect that white society in South Africa runs away from. And quickly, again, I, I, you know, I just want to say we, we have in Bloomfontein and in Johannesburg 
have started a buy black campaign because we have realized that some of these things are within our means. It is us black people that must start doing something about it. We started a, 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 a buy black campaign where we only buy from black uh, shops, from a pick and pay fuel station, and we would really want black people to use that uh, buying power so that they form, uh, I mean, they force white uh, South Africa to, to transform. Otherwise, we are begging them in our own country when we are the ones that are sustaining their own businesses because we are the majority and we've got the buying power. Thank you so much. Uh, Frank Talk, ZD and KZN. Hello, my, po- uh, hello. Uh, my point is that, you know, we still have racism amongst Indians and amongst blacks as well, not just white people amongst Indians and blacks because I live in a total Indian and that, uh, township in which we have a lot of blacks as well. Because if you take the police station of my town, for instance, it's been manned and run by blacks and Indians for a very long time, for more than 21 years. Why there's no whites, uh, there's no coloreds, and there's no Muslims in the police station why, and foreigners? Why is it not diverse? So, uh, so there's a racist police station as well. And when the head of department is a black in another uh, place and the head of department is a black here, they all coincide with each other. They are not neutral and they're not justifiable. Thank you. Well, that's ZD in KZN. Aubrey? Let's start with the last argument. Um, I, I think one day, Sakina, I should have a, a, a program about the impact of the reality we had during apartheid, or the fact that apartheid operated on the basis of a hierarchy of oppression. That's the first thing. In, in, in the current context, yes, you, you do have racial tensions between blacks and Indians um, in parts of KZN. Uh, between so-called black Africans and so-called colors um, in, the, in, in the Western Cape. But we must never forget that during apartheid, the primary racial tension was a product of colonialism and whiteness, as I said, as an ideology, a, a way of seeing, a way of being, and a dominant worldview. It, 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 it is also um, a product of something else, something much older than apartheid, a product of what uh, authors such as Walter Mignolo refer to as the darker side of Western modernity. Now, I, I have no problem with modernity, Western or Eastern or otherwise, but we must grapple with the fact that um, in the colonies, whether they're talking Latin America, whether they're talking Africa or elsewhere, we were confronted with the darker side of um, Western modernity. So even some of the mutations in racism we have seen uh, since um, apartheid or even since uh, colonialism um, have the same source, and it is the source that I've uh, just spoken about. Okay. This one from Unati Kwaza, a tweet says, uh, Aubrey is bordering on being offensive, insulting, and perhaps generalizing as well. And of course, we li- we want to hear all these different perspectives coming through. The lines are open. I do understand that they may be jammed, but uh, do try and get through. Otherwise, uh, just expand on those notions so that I can read them out and we can address them. We continue with the forum at 8 and speaking to political analyst uh, Aubrey Machite this morning.
And uh, we're looking at uh, a column that he wrote a couple of weeks ago, appeared in the Business Day under the title, The Changing New Smiling Face of Racism. And um, one morning I actually read out parts of that and it provoked quite a huge response. So uh, we thought we'd get Aubrey on so that you can engage with him on the contents thereof. And uh, just to uh, read, uh, uh, but before I do that, let me just go uh, to Neil in uh, Pongolo, who's been holding. Thank you so much for holding, Neil. Thanks for taking my call, uh, Sakino. Sakino, um, if your guest can do us a favor and um, just uh, explain to us uh, what is racism, number one. N- number two, very quickly, uh, d- does he think that um, other race groups like Indian colors and whites have a role to play in South Africa? And the last thing, is he aware that the food security of this country isn't still in the hands of white people and shouldn't we be finding a way to bring them on board into the new South Africa instead of pushing them away to go to other places in the world and make food more secure. Okay, thank you so much, Neil. Aubrey, let's take Neil and uh, the other calls that you were responding to that we took before the break. Well, uh, what is racism? I think that question was answered by Frank Talk. I agree with that uh, uh, definition. Um, you know, my, my involvement in the struggle was premised on fighting for a society that would be free of uh, racism and uh, all forms of prejudice. And that is why I have not been fully married to the idea of a rainbow nation, because for me, a rainbow nation must be a rainbow nation not just of races. It must be a rainbow nation in which homosexuals are free. And all people who, for religious, cultural, and, and other reasons, have been discriminated against are free. That, that's the kind of rainbow nation I'm fighting for. In the arguments I've been making over the past decade about the problem of racism, um, what I've been trying to say is this, Sakina, that we still need to fight for a non-racial society, but we are not a non-racial society. When I am critical of uh, racism, I am critical of racism as an obstacle to us achieving the role of a non-racial society. I am open to the possibility because some of my critics have argued that the reason I have to write articles of that nature is my naivete, that I am naive about the fact that a non-racial society is not a possibility. Now, if they are correct, that is the reason why I wrote in that column that given current circumstances, I am gravitating towards the view that the best we are going to achieve is peaceful non-reconciliation. Now, Frank Talk is is correct in another sense also. If you check my writing, most of my writing has been about criticizing the weaknesses and failures of the ANC, and when I do that, I am accused of being courageous. When, when I attack racism, I'm accused of being the chief racist um, in the country. Now, we can talk about corruption. We can talk about failures in governance. We can talk about failures in leadership and so on, on the part of uh, the ANC. But we must never think that the weaknesses and failures of the ANC expand the scenes of colonialism and apartheid scenes which continue uh, to this day. Tabang, I agree that this is partly about power, 
or even preponderantly about power. And that is why one of the arguments I have been making is that white people may be a minority in, in numerical terms, but they do not lack power. They are a cultural majority, a cultural majority, as I keep on saying, whose worldview, ways of seeing, and ways of being have become dominant. Well, um, just uh, very quickly on this uh, notion of the hierarchy of racism and uh, what people feel about that, because uh, that is also something that bedevils uh, South African society. And here's um, a tweet from Job who says, whites are architects of racism, whilst Indians, um, blacks and coloreds are consumers of it. What's your take on that? Well, as I said, we need a special program uh, on this one, because, you know, uh, when I attack white racism, uh, I become very popular among some. But when I move to uh, dynamics in places like the Western Cape and KZN and start talking about racial tensions between uh, so-called black Africans and Indians in KZN or so-called black Africans and so-called Talats uh, in the Western Cape, I become very unpopular. Unpopular because, amongst other things, uh, in a Bigoyan sense, Blacks cannot be racist. Now, of course, I understand what Bigo meant, because he linked the idea of racism to power. Um, But at the same time, my argument has always been um, that there is no particular human being or groups of human beings who cannot be prejudiced. Because if we argue that there is a particular human being or groups of human beings that cannot be prejudiced, then what we're doing is to deny them uh, their full humanity. So in, in a sense, um, it's quite possible that in some context, when you argue that blacks or colors or Indians cannot be um, racist, actually you are being racist. Wow. Let's go back to the lines. 891 Anonymous in Midrand. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Well, thanks. Um, interesting. Good, thank you. Interesting topic there. I'd also like to add in, as a young South African, right, I am of the notion that, you know, okay, granted, we were colonized and apartheid took part and whatnot, but we somehow also contradict ourselves because we are also color-struck amongst our very own. We, we, we will always find black people within black people being inferior and it's always easy for us to point fingers on apartheid. What do we do going forward? Because, fine, granted, apartheid is over in diamonds. There may be ramifications. There may be scars from it. But we, we're not doing any better. Because you'll see, even within the African continent, we are self-racist ourselves. So it's always easy to always point fingers. When does that now stop? And when do we take what we have moving forward and build because even right now the state of the economy is going down because we're constantly blaming. We've got drought now. We've got um, electricity problems. We're continually blaming. When does it stop and when do we take accountability and responsibility and move forward? Thank you so much, Anonymous. Mzu in Centurion. Good morning. Mzu? Okay, Mzu not there. Let's move on to Vidbank uh, Tabo. Hello? Hi, Sakina. How are you? Good in you, Tabo. I'm okay. No, this is the first time I, I call on your radio, and it coincides with my wife's uh, birthday. But, however, I just want to make one comment. 
um, um, racism is there and it will still be here with us. Because you, you look at one simple thing, and that is a concern to me. Where do you find a white man hiring another white man to do those uh, gardening and all those uh, uh, to be made? You understand what I'm saying? So most whites, actually, they are racist. And I don't know how we're going to get rid of this, but somewhere, somehow, we need to work together as black people to, to get rid of this thing. Thank you. Thank you, Tabo, and happy birthday to your wife. Let's go to a Little Honolo in Bloemfontein. Yeah, this is easy. Uh, we have got 54 million South Africans. 80% of that are black. So meaning that 43 million people in South Africa are black. If every black person goes and buys from a black person, we won't have issues of racism and stuff like that. So what I'm saying is we should just love ourselves. Never actually mind about white people or whoever. We just need to concentrate on ourselves and we are actually going to be fine. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Little Honolo. Uh, Hailey um, in Johannesburg. Hailey? Hi. Good morning, ma'am, to you and to your guests and everybody who listen to the radio station. South Africa is a, one of the unique countries in the world. What I see, the racism, the colonial masters, they conquer Africa for many years, and the, the last African state to become independent from the deep-rooted apartheid in the colonial history. What I see, the racism exists among white, black, colored, Indians, even the foreign guys like me who arrived from uh, East Africa. What I see, White to black is the most racist each other. What we can say 20 years, I can witness as a middle man. I see what's happening. Every sector, every ser- service sector we go, the existing of the racist is the most dominant in the world. Uh, this can cause destruction of this country. What happened? The only country in the world without the bloodshed, the leadership was the smooth transaction taken over Nelson Mandela become a president with the white, they give up their power smoothly without no gunpoint. But there is a lot of struggle previously for many years. Now, this was the change of the system of everything because the nation was suffering because of the transformation is not done properly. What I'm saying, for example, about the universities, <clears throat> the education system is inherited from the apartheid government, was intentionally designed the black not to go to school and not to be compatible with the brain, the white existing whites. So this has a serious impact and a damage on the mind of blacks. Well, I know the land is taken by whites, the education taken by whites, all the resources taken by whites and the Indians. But now this is the time the pain is gone through and over. But I'm afraid the coming future of South Africa if the government is not going to look into a very keen interest and in the priority to solve the race issue. But the race issue is there. We cannot bring it race issue by today or tomorrow by talking on the media. We need to educate our children who was born from the grassroots level. Then we can change the mind of the coming generation. All right. Thank you so much, Haley McFallon in Johannesburg, good morning. Hey, good morning, Sakina. How are you? Good and you. I'm good, man. You know, 
Um, I, there's a gentleman that called in earlier on by the name of um, Kezab, and um, he was speaking about the Buy Black, Buy Black Business Day. Now, I'm the chairman for the Johannesburg chapter about this issue, and you know, I think it's quite important that you know we start holding each other's hands, especially as black people, when it comes to the issue of business. Um, you know, when we started this organization, we were saying that you know a lot of people feel disenfranchised by government. That's the one. Number two, the funding processes that most of our um, uh, uh, funding institutions are flawed, and then and they really discriminate against us. And we said, there's no point and there's no use in complaining. What can we do um, to try and help each other? And within a matter of a week or so, we had um, a hundred people already out in the Free State, a hundred in Johannesburg, others in Pretoria, Northwest, everywhere. And these are just WhatsApp groups um, of black businesses trading amongst each other. Anything that you want, anything that you need. Find a black brother, find a black service provider, anyone that is interested in doing business with you. And it's been absolutely phenomenal, which means it can be done. How was Checker started? How was Pick and Pay started? How are all of these super chains started? It was by people supporting them. How are we unable to do it ourselves when we're in the majority? That's where it starts. Thank you so much, McFadden. Uh, let's go to Bisho Mbuziwekaya. Good morning. Good morning. Look, I, I want to, I, I agree with, with Ubra Ubra, but I want to ask him a question. Does he think the, the way we're doing things perpetuates white dominance in, in, in society? Because if we want best schools, we take our kids to white schools. If we want good residential areas, we buy land and properties in, in white dominated areas. If we want businesses, we buy stake in, 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 in white companies. We don't create our own and, and, and start our own businesses and, and, and take our kids to, to, to black-run schools and make those schools successful. I'm saying this because this, this, this to me, perpetuates this, this dominance and, 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 and influence of whiteness in society. But look at the issue of, 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 of the, the, the Johannesburg Bridge. Look at the people that were, were, were defrauding South Africa in the 2010 uh, World Cup. Look at how we reacted around that. Look at how we reacted on the alleged wrongdoing by, by this lady, Mbisane, um, from KZN. We, we, we quickly shut up on the, on the big companies, big white companies, and the corruption that they were doing. But we're still having more to say about the allegations against Ms. Mbisane. I think Neil also misunderstands the fact that black people are producing food, but the retail markets that should be buying from those black people are, are not buying from those black people. In the Eastern Cape, we've got a problem where government, first of all, invests in, in, in production, but people that are supposed to buy the, the for livestock and for retail shops, they are not buying, they are buying from other white people. So the racial monopoly in, in food production or in food chain also frustrates food security in this country. So Neil must not think that food production is only is something that can be done by white people. We are all doing it, but if we want to transform this country, let's make sure that we give each other equal opportunities.
Thank, Thank you, you so much, um, Vuzuweka. Let me read some messages as well. This one says, I am white. How do I escape the stigma of my whiteness? Uh, Bongi says, Aubrey displays a sense of arrogance and superiority by assuming that he knows what white people think. And then Belt says, the majority of blacks have become obsessed with whites and white bashing. We whites are obsessed with becoming entrepreneurial and successful in life. And until blacks let go of us and focus on their own success, they will continue this downward spiral. Fred in Natal says, when whites see how a black government has stuffed up our beautiful country, uh, is it any wonder that some are racist? And uh, this one from Keith says, this man's thinking is clear as crystal. Sad though uh, that our conversation couldn't rather be about unity, peace, the elimination of the concept of race in our minds, etc. And this one unsigned, so I suppose some of his best friends are white. And uh, Paul uh, Paluli in Pulukwane says, Bra Aubrey, I admire your courage. I wish other blacks of your caliber could come forward. When I read the opinions of some black columnists in the print media, I'm numbed by their self-hate. And then just a few quick others. Uh, uh, Luando, King, uh, Luando Tamane says, um, people like Aubrey, uh, when they have benefited and had enough of white privilege, then come out and start saying it's wrong. And Dumisane Ntlengetwa says, we tend to blame racism even when it doesn't exist. A Lack of self-confidence causes ugly inferiority in us and race obsession. And Matala the snake says, South Africa will never get over this since we never want to talk about it until it suits us. Aubrey? Well, actually, Sakina, some of my best friends are white. And some of my family members are white. Um, But be that as it may, the, 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 the reason why I keep on writing these articles about race. And by the way, they are, if you compare them to the totality of articles I write, they are a very small minority of what I write about. The reason I write them anyway is because I am convinced that uh, black and white South Africans have a common destiny. I am less convinced of that today than I was 10 years ago. I still haven't given up, though, on the hope for a non-racial society in future. All I'm saying, Sakina, is that those white people, for instance, uh, in some of the messages you you have read, uh, who say I'm generalizing, despite what I've said, instead of a false sense of white solidarity, if they themselves are not or consider themselves not to be racist, they have an obligation. Their obligation is to deal with the racists amongst them. That's the contribution they can make to creating this society that most of us, I think, want, a non-racial um, society. Otherwise, Sakina, the alternative is conflict. You and I are old, um, and we are on our way out. The next generation will ask, and has started doing so, will ask serious questions about our failure to effect change in this country. And what might happen is, is, is that they will force change upon us. In other words, we have a choice. Either we change voluntarily, or we put ourselves in a position where change is is pushed and forced 
upon us. So as far as I'm concerned, that, that is the stark choice um, facing us with regard to, to, um, to this question. It's, it's either we change voluntarily or the next generation will force us to change. There's also the question, Sakina, of um, I, I think one of the callers was effectively complaining about what we internalize. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do sometimes make the mistake of blaming racism completely on white racists, when in fact a part of the racism is a function of what we have internalized. When we internalize feelings of inferiority, yes, we reinforce racism, and therefore we are partly culpable as far as that um, is concerned. So what we internalize, the racism we have internalized, that we have made ours and we have made a permanent part of our consciousness, yes, is partly to blame for the reinforcement of racist attitudes in South Africa today. Well, let me read a few more messages here. Um, this one uh, says, um, I have news for Tabo. I'm white. I have a white gardener. That's from uh, Mariana Lawrence in Port Elizabeth. And another one, a wise stress and argue about racism as if it's a white and black thing. It was better prior to 1994 because whites were oppressing um, others. And then accept the neurological evidence that all humans are racist, says Anthony. Joel says, I'm black. Uh, please ask your orb if the whites had never come to South Africa, would we blacks be in a better position today? Aubrey? I don't know. Um, here's the thing, Sakina. Um, there have been many responses to what I've written from people saying, well, you should be grateful for colonialism. Were it not for colonialism, you would still be killing each other and living in, in, in uh, mad hearts. Now, I don't think, Sakina, we should even spend a second uh, on such arguments. They are not going to take us anywhere. They add nothing uh, to this or any other debate about the national challenges uh, that face us. Then there's a mistake we black people make sometimes. Uh, we, we tend to freeze what... what uh, we could have become in a particular moment. And that particular moment is the moment where we meet the white colonizer. And, and sometimes we freeze ourselves in that moment as if uh, black people on the continent were incapable of modernizing. Now, modernity um, is not something that is the sole preserve of a particular culture of, or of a particular race. I am therefore convinced that even if the colonizer had not come into contact with us, we would have continued to develop and progress. Now, of course, when, when I argue against white racism, I'm not idealizing the black personality, because when I argue against economic injustice about the fact that the South African economy is still run largely on a colonial um, a logic and mentality, uh, some make the mistake of thinking that if you replace white capitalists with black cap- capitalists, uh, South Africa will be a nirvana of economic justice. That's not the case. In fact, that view itself um, is an in- indication of the extent to which we have internalized um, racism or we have idealized uh, victims of oppression. Because in my view, there is an extent to which 
we must accept that all human beings are fallible, um, and therefore the fact that you were a victim of oppression does not render you infallible. Well, from many, many, many more messages coming through, Aubrey, um, Jonas Masingen and Malatheni says, your guest is 100% correct. Uh, Joe in Cape Town says, we have all been brainwashed, black and white. Let's pray the next generation gets it right. And then Musa in Durban says, racism is rife in South Africa. When comments uh, were still active on News 24, you could read how racist uh, people are. And then Lamla Gush says, racism uh, is palpable in this uh, so-called South Africa um, if you can check the statistics of South Africa, black students don't find employment in this country as opposed to their white counterparts. People can deny this until they are blue in the face. And the other issue is the issue of transformation in South Africa and at universities, um, the positions, uh, higher positions are occupied by white males. And then uh, Murare says, during Kodesa, racism was not on the agenda, but the racism was center of apartheid policies. Henka Kutsia's contribution says, I submit that we all too often interchange uh, the, uh, the words uh, when we just try to discuss racism resulting in total confusion about the true nature of racism. The three words are prejudice um, where we prejudge people based on limited information or misinformation about them. The second word is discriminate where we act upon our, our prejudice either isolating, avoiding people and or abusing them in actions or word and again based on our prejudices. And um, and Andreas Gift says racism is racism isn't natural. Remember, Jesus uh, rescued um, Israelis from uh, Egypt. He also was racist. We can argue until the cows come home. But the truth remains. Racism will never go away as long as we are alive. So how do we move forward from here, Aubrey? Well, we talk honestly. Um, That's the first thing. Um, but I think the starting point must be to accept that uh, black and white people in this country have a common destiny. Uh, we must accept that we have a range of futures uh, from which to choose, and we must be careful about which future uh, we choose. But as the Chinese say, if you want peace, go to the heart of the trouble. In this case, if you want peace in South Africa, go to the heart, to the heart of the racism problem. Well, Aubrey Machike, thank you so much for your time this morning and for engaging. And, of course, to everybody else uh, for their contributions as well. And I'm looking at tons of them. Uh, Wait, tomorrow morning, we'll try and find a time where we can read more of those contributions because this, of course, is not going to go away today. Thanks for your contributions and uh, thanks to the production team. It is 9 o'clock and uh, we are going to news now.